confession time. Um, a certain nervousness uh, today about preaching this passage. Because um, today's passage um, talks about something that I've struggled to understand and to apply for most of my Christian life. That's um, living life as a Christian should live it. Uh, for much of my Christian life, uh, I had had one kind of struggle. And that struggle is that I struggled to trust that I was really a Christian. Um, the churches that I was in and was exposed to so stressed how a Christian was supposed to behave, what I was supposed to do to be a good Christian. And I was just, I, it just seemed like I was bad at all of it. Um, I was bad at praying. I was bad about telling people about Jesus. I was bad about not sinning. Um, I was bad about being kind and compassionate and selfless. I, I, just, I kept looking at myself every day, and all I could see is how far I fell from this thing that I professed to believe. Um, and so because I, I, I kept just looking at my conduct, looking at how I behaved um, to justify my relationship with God, I doubted. I doubted all the time um, that I could possibly be a Christian because I didn't look like a Christian. I didn't do the things um, that Christians do or are supposed to do. Um, but God was gracious to me, and, and he led me a time to, um, to uh, just kind of let his spirit show me that, that that mindset was wrong. He allowed me to see that, that it wasn't the truth of the gospel, and that being a Christian was not primarily a matter of what I did right. Um, he, instead, he showed me that I was his because of what Jesus had done for me. Um, I could not obey myself into his love or his approval or into his kingdom. Um, those are the things he gave me um, because he loved me, because he saved me, because he redeemed me, not because anything I did made me worth any of that. So I embraced this truth, and I found comfort in this truth. I found peace in this truth. But like all good things— I then, like, distorted that truth as well. Um, I, I, quote, overcorrected, and by overcorrecting, I, I went, like, wrong, but the other way. Um, it's like if you, if you find yourself going off the road, and you're like, oh, no, and then you overcorrect, and now you're in, and then you're in the other lane, and you're kind of out of control. I, I, I wound up going too far in the opposite direction. I was so concerned about making sure that my Christian life was not defined by my works, by what I did, I started believing um, that any call to do something, any call to obey, any, any call to follow God's laws, God's rules, God's, God's declarations of things he wants us to do, I would just say, that's not the real Christian life. That's legalism. Um, it's a denial of grace to believe that I'm supposed to do anything. And so you'd read a passage that said, do this. And I go, well, what that really means is Christ has done this, so I don't have to do it. And, and I just, I was so, I was so crazy to like, like just say it's grace, 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 grace means I don't do anything, that I stopped doing things and like justifying in grace, realizing that I was just using this false idea of grace to like excuse myself from not doing the things that I wasn't doing before but feeling worse about. Um, either way wasn't the Christian life isn't what God has called us to. But again, he was gracious. And now he allows me to see that 
not one of these things is true, and not the other of these things are true, but a true understanding of both of these things are true. He is the one who saves. My works don't contribute to any of that. He is the one who restores relationship between us. My works aren't anything to do with that. I am his child because he chose to make me his child. And that's that. But as his child, he calls me to live as his child. I'm called to do the things he has said that his children do. We saw this clearly. We've been in Ephesians for a while. Saw this clearly back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Basically say this message. I do it all, now you do. Um, because of what I've done. For, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, our salvation is not by our works. It is by his grace alone, through faith alone, and that faith is a gift that he gives us. All of that is of Christ. Not any of that is what comes from myself. And we do need to rest in that. We need to have confidence in that, that our relationship with God is not on the basis of what we've done. But we also need to see that what he has done was for good works— that we should walk in. Even though Christ saves us and he makes us his through his own effort, we live out that truth through effort. We are really doing something when we do the work that he has for us. But even those, even, even those works, even as we're doing something, we recognize that those are things that God prepared beforehand. They are things that we do and that we're able to do and that we're willing to do because we are in him. Our lives are now in Christ's life. The passage today uses the description to describe this as renewal, of something old being made into something new, to describe the works that we are to do and are able to do because of what Christ has done for us. It tells us that in Christ we are renewed so that we can live for Christ. In Christ we are renewed so that we can live for Christ. Now, before we plunge back into the text, uh, there are a couple words that, that Paul uses. I want to make sure that we understand um, that what he really means, that, that, how that really uh, applies um, to what we're considering today. Um, the first of those words is Gentiles. Paul says to walk, not walk as Gentiles do. Um, now, you know, we've been in Ephesians for a while, and before that we were in Acts, and we spent a lot of time talking about Gentiles, um, and that how Christ died to bring the Gentiles in, the, that, that Christ wasn't just about his chosen people, the Jews, but that he wanted those from outside that group of people, and how he brings them all together, and we're all one, and even in our diversity, we have unity, and like, yes, Gentiles, yes, Gentiles, yes, Gentiles, and then Paul says, like, don't be Gentiles, and you're like, I'm not quite sure. I mean, you, why are you dogging the Gentiles now? You've been talking about how good Gentiles are. It seems odd that he would use the word Gentile in a derogatory manner when he's even like, I'm an apostle of the Gentiles. I love Gentiles. That's, you know, that's what I do. Um, but Paul is not talking about all Gentiles. Um, he's, he's using the Gentile lifestyle 
the pre-relationship with God lifestyle, kind of using that idea that the Jews were in relationship with God and the Gentiles weren't, that, that kind of popular way of looking at, at, at how people related to God, to stand for the idea of a life apart from relationship with God. Um, the word that I think makes, you know, makes more sense, if you've heard it, is the word pagan. It's just a life without God. Um, so when he's using, he's using the phrase Gentiles, he's talking about, he's talking about unbelieving lifestyle, a, a lifestyle separated um, from God. So that's the, one of the two words um, that we'll see here. So when I, when I, if you hear me say Gentile, I'm talking about pagan, unbelief, worldly, whatever word gives you the idea in your mind of what a life looks like apart from Christ, that's what he means by, by living like the Gentiles. The second word I want to use, talk about is the word mind. Uh, Paul you, almost talks, uses the word mind exclusively to talk about the processes that, he's, um, that, he's, uh, that, that God is changing in us. He uses it twice. He talks about the futility of the pagan mind and the Christian mind being, re, re, Christian being renewed by the spirit of your minds. When we hear the word mind, we often think like brain thinking and all of that. And that is true, um, but when the scripture's using it here, it's talking uh, uh, more fully. It's talking about um, basically the entirety of the inner self. Uh, Pastor John MacArthur speaks of the mind as being the center of thought understanding, belief, motive, and action. So it's the source for what we know, and it's the source for what we do, which is pretty much, you know, all of life is, is summarized in that word mind. So, so when we talk about mind, I'm talking about us. I'm just talking about ourselves. I'm talking about our lives. And so I, I think that we can use the word, when we hear the word mind, we're really talking about all of life, all of the Christian life. So um, those are two words we want to talk about. It. Let's see what, what, what Paul has to say about them. Um, the very first thing that we talk about when we're talking about in Christ, we are renewed to live uh, lives for Christ, is that in Christ, we put aside old ways of living for ourselves. In Christ, we put aside old ways of living for ourselves. Um, verses 17 through 19, let's read those again. Um, now this I say and testify in the Lord, uh, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul's using the word walk to talk about daily conduct, talking about the way we carry ourselves, the way in which we live. So when Paul is talking about no longer walking as the Gentiles or no longer walking as the pagans, he's referring to that way of life, a pagan, unbelieving way of life, a life unconcerned with God. By saying that we are no longer walking in that life, he's saying that this life was our lives. It's like, you're, like, you're no longer living this. means like when we were apart from Christ, our old ways of life were a sinful life. You know, sometimes some people say, you know, their, their Christian experiences, like, well, I, I trusted in Christ when I was an eight years old, and then, you know, I've been in church all my life, and so I've been, you know, I, I, it's hard for people to remember sin, but uh, at a time that they were enemies of Christ. But, but it's true. Without Christ, we were his enemy. This is the life that we had. And what is that life? Um, Paul says that it was, is, is a life in futility, a futile life. And futile is just another word we're saying useless. 
It's a useless life. Lives apart from Christ are a useless life. Life is empty. Life is lived in vain. Life is lived without meaning. Um, Apart from Christ, the answer to the meaning of life is there is none. And so for a life apart from him, that life is useless. King Solomon starts the book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon, the wisest man, you know, we say the wisest man who ever lived because he had, God said, you can ask for something, and he said, God, give me wisdom. Uh, and, and God said, that's a great request. You didn't ask for riches. You didn't ask for uh, women. You didn't ask for, you know, you, you could ask for all these things, great power. You know what? So I'm going to give you all the wisdom I can give you, and I'm going to give you everything else too. But, but so we think that, that Solomon was so wise. And, and Solomon, like in the book of Ecclesiastes, like wrestles with what does life mean? And he literally starts by saying that life without God is vanity. Vanity is vain. It means nothing. Basically, his summary of it was you live, then you die. That's life without God. That is a useless life. Um, but the uselessness of that, the futility of life, is worse than just meaningless. If it was just like like neutrally meaningless, I mean, that would be sad, but it wouldn't be the worst news that it could be. Um, Paul tells us it's worse than just like neutrally sad. He gives us four different ways that the passage describes what this useless, futile life looks like apart from Christ. First of all, life apart from Christ is darkened. Um, verse, the first half of verse 18, 18a says, um, they are darkened in their understanding. Without Christ, people cannot see clearly. Uh, without Christ, people's perception of life is not accurate. Um, you, you can't see in the dark without light. If, if you were like in a perfectly dark room with no light, ambient light coming from anywhere, you literally could not see anything. Um, people outside of Christ, don't see things clearly because they can't. Um, People need light to see. And what does Scripture tell us? That the light is Jesus is that light. Uh, John 8, uh, verse 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Um, Because there is no light for, for the unbeliever. There is no Jesus. People cannot see things that are true. Uh, you, you, you walk through life in darkness, you bump into a lot of things. You walk through life in darkness, you don't know if you're on the path that, that you're uh, supposed to be on or if you're even on the path at all uh, or not because it's dark. Um, this darkness um, can make people think too highly of themselves. I think that's probably the default is that because we, don't, we can't see clearly, we don't see ourselves clearly. We don't perceive how bad our sin really is. You'll hear people say, uh, well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Um, defining good for themselves. And they'll say, well, I'm kind. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm nice to animals. Uh, I give to charity. I love my kids. I recycle. I'm good. Uh, you know, if we're doing plus and minuses, I'm on the plus side of things. It's all good. Um, they don't see how, how terrible their sin is. They, they, they're darkened. Now, I, I say that's a default, but I don't think that's everybody. I think a lot of people also struggle to see um, themselves and also God too lowly. Um, they could have an attitude of, I'm too sinful for anyone to love me. I'm just too messed up. 
Uh, I, God can't accept me the way I am. You, you don't see the God that's, that's true, that's all-powerful, all-loving, and you, and you see yourself, uh, while, you, while you see your sin, quote, accurately, you don't see how you can relate to God accurately. You're, you're, you're blind because of this darkness. Uh, life, apart from Christ, is darkened. Cannot see spiritual truths, can't see the conditions of hearts and lives clearly. So you're blind. What does that lead to? What's the next thing? Um, second half of verse 18 tells us that a life apart from Christ is alienated from God. Uh, verse 18b, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now the word alienated um, translates as estranged. Um, if you think, uh, you know, the way that in society that we use the word estranged is, is divorced spouses. Um, divorced spouses uh, were, were married. They, they were in a relationship. They were together. Um, God tells us that marriage brings together two people into one flesh. And there's this relationship that, that existed, but now they're strangers. Now they don't have an intimate relationship anymore. Now they are not one, but they are two again. They are made strangers to each other. Uh, estranged. Or you can use the word alien and just think like an alien. An alien is someone from someplace else. Um, we don't call, sp you know, space aliens aliens because, you know, that's what a person from outer space is. We call them alien because they're not of us. They're not of this. They're alien. They're foreign. They're something else. Um, they're different. Um, that's what um, this is. They're, they are separate. The life apart from God is a life that has no relationship with God. It is separated from him. Basically, uh, it's a life that treats God as a stranger. Ephesians 2 uh, verse 12 said this, remember that you were at this time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, the, the people of God, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. God tells us that being a stranger to God um, is, is, is big. It, you, you, you miss everything when you're a stranger to God. Um, you, you, you're a stranger to his promises. You don't, have, you don't have access to the things that he says he does for us in salvation and, uh, and reconciliation and hope and peace and joy and love and all those things that we talk about, the benefits of being God. They're all lost to a stranger. Um, the verse specifically says that we have no hope. There's hopelessness. There is no good future for a stranger um, from God and without God in the world. Uh, there's a way of saying that um, hell is what, hell is God's grace gone. And people don't really, because they're strangers, because they don't get it, they don't realize how much God grace matters. The Bible tells us that God reigns on the just and the unjust. God provides so much. We have oxygen and sunlight and resources to build houses and, and places to live and food and, um, and, and, and relationships and all that. And the world gets all of those blessings of, of God, all those grace. And because of that, they don't, they don't get that those are grace and that the, a day is coming when there is none of that, when there is nothing good left for them when you're a stranger. Why are they a stranger? It comes from ignorance of him. Now, ignorance means just not knowing, but this ignorance that isn't just not knowing. This says that it is ignorance uh, that comes from a hardened heart. 
a heart that purposely doesn't want to know God. When perce- while perception is darkened, while we say you can't see accurately, it's not completely gone. Um, uh, the Bible in Romans chapter 2 tells us that God, uh, God gives us a conscience. I mean, he, 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 spe- he has spoken to hearts so that hearts without excuse. He has given us creation. The world around us tells us, wow, this came from somewhere, from something good. This came from a God. All these things testify about who God is. So people have something to see God by. Um, people have the perception that there is something beyond them. And so you'll hear a lot of people say, I'm spiritual but not religious, or um, I, you know, and so they seek false religions and spirituality and all these things to try to try to deal with what this thing outside of them is or this thing inside of uh, them is. But the truth is to be confronted with God as he really is means that you have to give up things you don't want to give up. People, you know, even the greatest atheist in the world, the truth is people choose not to know God. People choose not to believe in God. People choose not to follow God because that's what their hearts want. They want the things of this world. They want the things that please them more than they want God. That's a life uh, apart from God. They make their hearts deny God so they don't have to deal with God as he really exists. And because of that willful denial, their hearts get hard. Um, you know, we talk about people who are emotional as soft-hearted. Um, you know, I, <laughs> whenever, like yesterday I went to see Pete's Dragon and I teared up like seven times. No shame. Um, uh, I might be a little soft-hearted when it comes to something. You know, a hard heart is one that, that pushes, that doesn't have that, that doesn't have, um, that doesn't have feeling um, for, um, for the things outside themselves. They don't have any way of, of wanting um, what, get, what, what God has. And so, because their hearts are hardened, because they said, I don't want to give up what I have, I don't want there to be something other than me, I want to be in control of me, their heart refuses to know. And so from that hardness comes ignorance. They don't want to know, so they don't know, which leads to alienation. So God doesn't know them. God separates himself from them. Um, life apart from Christ um, is alienated from God. Uh, the third thing describing um, this life apart from God is that it is calloused. Verse 19, uh, first half verse 19 says it pretty simply. They have become callous. A callous. People know what a callous is? It's a part of the skin that becomes hard. Um, you get calluses on your hands from hard work. Construction type guy, you know, basically my hands are very soft because I'm not that guy. But, you know, you do hard work and you get like bumps here. When I, now, to be fair, when I played tennis, I had a little one right there all the time. But, um, but you, 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 it's for things rub up against and it gets hard. And, and when, you know, I do have calluses here from playing the guitar. You get your guitar calluses and then your fingers don't hurt so much uh, after you play the guitar. Um, your feet get calluses if you, if you spend a lot of time on your feet. Um, the skin gets hard and then because it gets hard, it doesn't feel things. Um, I get the calluses on my fingers, so playing the guitar isn't hard anymore because uh, I don't feel so much pain when you're pressing. Because you're pressing down on little steel cables all the time. It hurts. It's, you know, that's, it, it, it's not pleasant. But, but you get calluses to help you not feel um, anymore. A person not in Christ is a callous person. Not only do they not know God, they don't care. 
They don't care that they don't know God. It doesn't bother them because they are callous, because they're hard. They can't feel the need for God that they have anymore. Callousness is being beyond feeling. It's being morally or spiritually insensitive or apathetic. I just don't care. Okay, God, whatever, don't care. Um, we kind of think of the, of, you know, the, the agnostic type of lifestyle. There might be a God, there might not, but I, my life's cool, I don't, so I, I don't care about that. Um, that is a life apart from God, it's callous. Finally, last thing it tells us about the life apart of God is that it is selfish. A life apart from God is selfish, verse 19b. And they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. We see the result of a person who cannot see God clearly, they do not know God, that being by their choice, and they do not care that they don't know God. They can't see, they don't know, and they don't care. Um, because they don't have God to live for, they have freed themselves from any responsibility of living for God. Instead, they can live entirely for themselves. And so they become indulgent, self-indulgent, the ultimate in self-indulgence. They indulge in sensuality, uh, and are greedy for things that are impure, things that are the opposite of God. God is absolutely pure, absolutely holy. Um, sensuality uh, and impurity is the opposite of that. Now, we think of sensuality, we often say that word, and we think of sexuality, we think of, of indulging in sexual things. But sensuality can really just mean, like, like satisfying the senses. Uh, so when we think about that, it's everything that, that we can engage in to, like, serve our appetites. Uh, And that's what I mean. It it, it really is a meaning of indulging in what you want without any remorse whatsoever. I want what I want. Or or I do what I want. That's what this is. It's I I do what I want. Um, You hear people make statements in life about things like, what's really important is that you be true to yourself. Or what's really important is that you follow your heart. While the Bible tells us that following your heart is terrible advice. Uh, In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet, God says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. When a person is being true to themselves, when a person is following heart, what they're being true to is a blind, darkened, ignorant, calloused heart. They are being completely controlled by the flesh. Here's a list of things that Scripture tells us are the works of the flesh. Sexual immorality in all of its forms. Idolatry. Sorcery. Sorcery indulging in in things of darkness. Um, Hostility. Bitter conflict. Jealousy. Fits of anger. um, Rivalries. Comparing yourselves competing with other people um, to to establish yourself as best divisiveness envy drunkenness unrestrained partying stealing greediness cheating insults these are all things that god says this is this is the flesh this is this is what sensual is 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 pursuing all those things all those things serve us serve me make me feel better uh, make my, satisfy my appetites, satisfy what I want when my wants are blind to anything of God. All of these are acts of people who've decided that what they want is more important. What they want 
is more important than anything or anybody else. A life of selfishness, a life of living for what I want, is a life completely separated from God. And that is the life that we no longer want to walk in. This is the life that Paul says, don't walk like this. This is not a life in, in God. In Christ, we put aside those old ways of living for ourselves. Now we get to the second part of the equation. So, so if we are putting aside old ways of living for ourselves, we need to then put on something or put, uh, you know, to, to, to do something different. And, and the second half of the passage tells us that in Christ, we put on new ways of living for him. In Christ, we put on new ways of living for him. Let's read again verses 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The patches speech of these new ways as a change. Uh, it, it's like a change of clothes. It talks about, I'm going to take something off and put something on. Um, it, it talks about putting off our old self as like old, ratty, stained, torn up, dirty clothes. Um, you don't want to do that. You know, you know we typically don't want to wear that. I mean, you know, you have those clothes. You're like, I'm just sitting around the house, so give me that shirt that I got in 1993 with the rips here and you know, oh, that, oh, that was spaghetti from 2004, and, you know, you got, you, because it's so soft. Of course it's not. It's got like eight threads left in it. It's, you know, of course, you know, but yeah, we, no, that's, God, if God gives, God gives us a garment and says, here, that's not what he gives us. He gives us new, sparkling, um, beautiful, fresh, crisp, clean clothes. That's, that's the, that's the comparison he's using here to describe it. it. Speaks of putting off the old stuff and putting on the new stuff. We change into something new. Passage tells us three things about this change that we undergo. First of all, our change is made possible through the gospel. Our change is made possible through the gospel. Verses 20 and 21 talk about Jesus. Um, they're like, you want to transition from this old life to this new life? Well, first we got to talk about Jesus. Um, because it's Jesus that makes this possible. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That old way of life is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him, and we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. These, these words that Paul is using, he, that you learned, this isn't what you learned, this is what you heard, this is what you were taught. These are all ways that Paul is talking about hearing, understanding, and trusting in the gospel. The truth that is Jesus. Um, it's about turning away from the old life, repentance, um, telling that that's only possible when you know and understand this, the gospel. When you understand Jesus, the gospel, God is holy and righteous and perfect. And he created us because he wanted a relationship to love and show his goodness to a people who would then recognize, love, and appreciate his goodness and love him and serve him and worship him. All in a, in a beautiful, perfect relationship. But man said, no, I don't want to be just someone who loves and serves somebody else i want to be someone who loves and serves me so said god you say you want a i want b i want the opposite of you i want to serve my bell we man becomes rebels um, and that rebellion is called sin and god says whoa i'm perfect i'm holy i'm righteous you're you're being something that's not me 
is the opposite of that. It's sin. It's unrighteousness. And it can't be in my presence. It can't, because I'm perfect, if, if I had something with me that was not perfect, I would not be perfect. And that is just impossible. So God must cast away that which is imperfect. So he does that because in God is life. The opposite of that is death. Because God, we dwell, uh, we dwell with God in heaven, in paradise. Um, the opposite of that is hell. That's what we deserve because our sin was a rejection of God, wanting the opposite of God. But, but God, because he is so rich in mercy, because of his great love, he said, I still want this relationship. I still want people to love me who I love. I still want people to follow me who I, um, who, who I saved. So I'm going to restore this relationship, um, but I'm going to send my son. Um, he's my son. He's me. Um, and you know what? You're not perfect because you're rebels, you're rebels but he's perfect. And so he's going to come and not sin because he can do that because he's me. And then I'm going to punish him because you deserve punishment. But I will put my punishment on him, which is me, so that I can, so that my justice can be satisfied. And then, so Jesus died to do that. And then Jesus conquered the death. He dies, but then he comes back and rises again. So that not only can we have our punishment taken, but we can be given new life instead. We can be made from the opposite back into what we did because of what Jesus Christ has done if we respond, if we trust, if we have faith, if we believe in what Jesus Christ has done and commit ourselves to trusting in that. Um, The gospel. Notice how we're not the heroes of that story. Um, The life apart from Christ is a life where we want to be the heroes of our own story. Um, The life in Christ says, no, we're not. He's the hero of our story. And without that good news, without the gospel reconciling us to God, how we walk would be meaningless. Um, Paul says that in in, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how, hey, you know what? If he hadn't risen from the dead, then we pity us because we're just living for a lie. But it's true, and it's all because of what Christ has done. So it's not. It is the thing um, that leads us into a life for him. Because of what God has done through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have the ability to live for him. We have the ability to live for him. The Bible calls the power, the gospel, the power of God. We also have the motivation to live for him. We live for him because of the deep love he has shown us through Jesus and the deep love we have for him in response to what he's done. The new life we put on, um, we are willing and able to put on because of what Jesus has done for us. So our change is made possible through the gospel. Second thing, our change is made reality by the Holy Spirit. Our change is made reality by the Holy Spirit. Verses 23 through 24. And to be renewed by the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Um, We see two words here that talk about that this change that we undergo is also, first and foremost, not a thing that we're doing in our own power. It's not about I do because I can do, um, 
under my own motivation. I do because I can do under my own ability. Instead, it, it talks about things that are being done to us or being done for us. Verse 23 uses the words, we are being renewed. We are not renewing ourselves. We are being renewed. That's passive. That means it's a thing being done to us. Verse 4, 24 says our new self being created after the likeness of God. Again, we're not creating. We are being created. It's something that is being done to us. Um, those acts of renewing, of recreating us, are actions of the Holy Spirit. The phrase translated uh, in verse 23, to be renewed by the spirit of your minds, means that under the controlling power of the Holy Spirit, the mind directs its bent and energies towards God. We see a similar word used in Titus uh, chapter 3, verse 5, and it says this, Jesus saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So when this passage talks about the renewal of the spirit of your minds, it's not just, a, it's not a thing that we're making our mind do or believe. It's not a change of mind that comes from us, but it's a change of mind that comes from him dwelling in us. Uh, and that change um, is, is true of all of us when we come to Christ, when we trust in his sacrifice, and when we re repent and believe. And the Bible tells us the change that we're doing, that we're participating in, is, is a change that he has already done. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, not is going to be, but he is a new creation. He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Because God himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit, lives in his children, he does the work of making us new. He sets us free so that we can live in that, so we can be the people we were always created to be, living, fully living in the likeness of God. Okay, so we see that God, uh, the, the Christian life is one, God does, gives us the ability because of what Christ has done. He makes it possible. Second, he gives us uh, the reality, he makes it happen because of what he's done. We now get to stuff we do, and we really do do these things. Uh, last point is our change is made apparent. Our change is made apparent by our love. Uh, we read verse 22 and then verse 24. Verse 22 says to put off, that this new life is to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through evil desires. Verse 24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. The, the words, the sense that Paul is conveying and putting off and putting on is our effort. We are actually really doing these things. We have to do this. God's going to give us the ability. God's going to make it happen. But we are participating in that. We have things to do. Um, and, but here's the great thing. Because God has freed us from sin, because God has freed us for living for ourselves, we are now free to do that. We are no longer unable because we were slaves to sin. Um, we are now free in him to live out the change that he has made in us. Um, we make what is inside, what is invisible, visible by living out what he has told us to do. First, we put off the old self. All of those things that we talked about in the first half um, that come from those first few verses, um, those aren't true of us on the inside. God has made us new. We are not those people. So we don't live like those things are true. We are not darkened. 
Because of Christ, we can clearly see who God is, and we can clearly see who we are. Um, so uh, we, we can get our sin. We can understand, I'm, uh, I'm a good person. No, I'm not. I am a sinful person who desires myself, who desires to serve myself. I, in my flesh, I don't want to do any of this. It's hard work, and I don't like it. I'm lazy, and I just want to be lazy. Let me do what I want. No, it's hard. Um, but, um, but, but, but I can see that. I can see that I'm a sinner who doesn't want to follow God. Um, but um, at the same time, I can also clearly see that in him, I'm not that person. I really am a person loved by God and cherished by God and, and made new by God. We can clearly see, because we are not darkened. That's the old life. That's not who we are. We clearly see our sin, and we clearly see how good he is. Um, we talk about how the Christian, the, the growth in the Christian life is literally seeing your, the, seeing your sin worse and seeing God greater makes the Jesus Christ that we follow. And the more we see how unholy we are and the more we see how holy he is, is our Christ gets bigger and bigger to fill that gap between those two things. Um, we can see our sin and our, identi our identity in him clearly. Um, we're not darkened. We are not alienated. Our relationship has been restored. We are not a stranger to God anymore. He is a Lord to us. He is a father to us. He's a good father to us. Um, we don't live as if we don't know him. We don't live in ignorance of him. So we, we pray and we read his word and we get in community where we experience knowing him and knowing him better and not dampening our conscience to be able to do what we want. I'm like, I'll take my Jesus, and I'll take this stuff too. No, we don't do that. We, we, we know him. We are re in relationship with him. We are not calloused. We care about God. So we want to live in ways that honor him. We want to live in ways that honor what he's done for us. If you don't care that your life honors God, if you're like, I got Jesus, but I, I, I like my other stuff too, you need to repent of that. That's, that's put, we need to put that off. Um, we... Uh, that doesn't define us, and we are not selfish. We don't live to feed our appetites. We don't live to feed our egos. We don't live to feed our flesh, but we live to serve God and others, um, which is a preview of if we're taking off the old life, what's the new life look like? What, what is putting on our new selves? Um, verse 24 says the new self exists in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, referring to Pastor John MacArthur again, um, he says this, righteousness relates to the Christian's moral responsibility to his fellow men, while holiness refers to his responsibilities uh, to God. Um, so, so we see that, that, that a, a new life affects itself by living, first of all, it's not about us. It's about things that are outside of us. So first we see uh, a life towards others we live in love. Beloved, let us, 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So love is, is what defines us. That love manifests itself to others in service, Galatians 5.13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So as it relates to righteousness, to our relational obligations, um, we love through serving. We love each other. Uh, through serving. The new life towards ever is, is a life lived in love through serving. Towards God, we also live in love, but that love manifests itself through obedience. Um, 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, 
that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. As it relates to holiness, as it relates to how we relate to God, the new life is a life we live by loving God. And we love God by obeying the things he has told us to do. Christ's obedience for us was perfect. It fully restores our relationship. So now we really do obey. We really do do the things that he said to do. As I said at the beginning, I was nervous about this sermon because I've struggled with the call to live as a Christian should live. I'll be honest, I was also nervous because I know that other people in this room have this same struggle. For some of you, that struggle is trying to work to earn God's love. You just, you, you have that mindset I had for that first part of life. I'm not good enough, so I just got to keep trying harder to be good enough. We need to stop that. We need to trust and rest in what he has done for you. We have to recognize that I'm his because of what he's done in the gospel. I'm his and I'm made new because of what he's done through the Holy Spirit. Live in that. Believe that. Live confidently in that. Don't work to prove yourself. But this message is also for those who struggle on the other side to love and obey. That, that second half I went through is like, it, it, it's not about what I do. It's like, well, it's about Christ, but it is also about what we do. Take off the old flesh. Repent. Put on love and service and obedience Life is grace, but that grace lives itself out in what we do. It is a thing that we live to share, to show God that we love him, to show other people that we love them and that God loves them. The life in Christ is a life that lives for Christ. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, Lord, I... I confess that so many times in my life I have worked to earn your favor. And so many times in my life I have ignored your call um, to work. Lord, thank you um, for the gospel. Thank you that Jesus Christ died to save us, that his obedience was perfect, that his righteousness is our righteousness, um, that we don't have to work to sh to get your love, to get our salvation, um, to, to get our relationship with you. But Lord, I also confess that I've been lazy to, to not do things you have said to do before you do call us to be obedient. You do call us to live for a purpose beyond ourselves. That is your purposes. Um, it is you who gives us meaning. It is you who gives us um, um, the purpose of life. Lord, uh, help us as we are, as we strive to be faithful to one, trust in what you have done for us, in your great love, in your great mercy, the richness of your mercy. And Lord, give us the strength and resolve each day to live for you because you are worthy, because you have loved us greatly, and because we want nothing more in our lives. Um, then to show that um, to you and to everyone um, around us, Lord. I just offer up uh, our prayer in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. <coughs>